I'm Heidi. I'm Heather. And we're sisters. This is the H H Show. Hey, welcome back to the H H Hour. We're so glad that you clicked on this podcast and decided to join us today. I am Heidi, and this is my sister Heather, and we co-host the show. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's fun. Heather, we get so excited to interview guests, specifically guests who have had very personal impacts mm-hmm. on both of our lives. Yes. So why don't you introduce our guest today? You know, it's one of the things I love about this platform, Heidi, is that we do bring people on and hear their stories. And right. we we interview people that we don't know sometimes, and then we get to interview people that we love dearly. And today is one of those, one of those days. So um, 20 years ago, 20, 20, 20 years plus. and a half yeah. <laughs> years ago, um, Chris and I got married. Mm-hmm. And this man married us. Yes. And he was our pastor a few years before that. I was trying to remember today how long it had been. I want to say maybe three or four years, something our like family's that. pastor. Like we were in his ch- church with our parents. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then, so he married Chris and myself. And then we moved away to California. And then we came back. We came home. And um, shortly after we came home, I started working for him. Yes. And there's so much to that story that I don't have time to get into, but let's just say that this man has impacted my life, Mm -hmm. my ministry life in a way that no one else has um, impacted it. And so I'm forever grateful to him for that. Um, He's been a mentor and a father-like figure to me for Mm -hmm. um, almost 20 years now. So I would like to welcome my pastor and one of my dearest friends, Pastor John King, to our show. Hey, thank you so much. You got me crying before we start. (laughs) (coughs) That's good. Um, So, Pastor, I am just, I'm so honored to have you sit here and tell your story because it's one of so much faith and faithfulness. Mm -hmm. And faithfulness has been a word that has been just on my mind and on my heart now for a season. And as I'm watching people um, remain faithful in Mm -hmm. hard times and remain faithful to the Lord, to the church, to others, to their spouses. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking about it a lot. And that is one of the words that I would use to describe you is Mm -hmm. you are faithful. So I just want to talk with you about your journey Mm -hmm. to where you are now. So could you go back all those years ago before you lived in the United States and tell us a little bit of your history? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So good to be with you, and uh, you're very precious in our lives, too. Um, Well, I was brought up in a Christian home. My dad actually was the pastor of our church and um, uh, had a a great upbringing, really. I was the youngest and the most spoiled. And uh, I tell my brothers now that I'm still the youngest and the best looking. And... uh, (laughs) But uh, at at 13 years of age, I I was a little uh, rebellious. But more than that, I was searching for my own faith, you know. Mm. And um, the Lord met me in a miraculous way. And uh, and it's a long story. But I um, ended up uh, giving my life to Jesus. Uh, and I use those words carefully uh, because he, I never found him. He found me. Yeah. But I did give my life to him. And um, uh, as I say, I was just 13. It was not in church. I got uh, come to know the Lord at, in a little old lady's cottage. Having stood outside and listened to a uh, open air, what they called an open air meeting. Uh, which is a group of Christians shouting on the corner, basically, and uh, sounds familiar right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I remember walking uh, home uh, from uh, surrendering my life to the Lord, knowing that the call of God was now on my life. Wow. And uh, I, I just knew that my life wasn't my own anymore, and um, all the fears I had about the future were dispelled by that whole understanding. Uh, God not only saved me, he called me all in one night. And Mm -hmm. um, I walked through my life uh, with that thought. At 15, um, I, uh, you know, at 15 years of age, I I finished school. And um, 
I went to work in a furniture factory, to be honest, and uh, I went away to a conference and uh, and um, signed up at this conference to um, leave home and go and uh, spend a year um, just spending three months of time with different pastors uh, around the country, uh, training uh, for the call of God, basically. And I remember sitting uh, as a 15-year-old, looking into the the coal fire in our house, talking to my mother, and and she said, you're 15, and um, uh, don't you think you need to pray and think about this? And I, I remember being absolutely certain I was doing the right thing. Wow. Now, my father, a uh, very wise guy, uh, my hero in, in every sense of the word, unknown to me, he wrote to the organization that I was going to go with and said, this brother could do with another year in his own church. Wow. And uh, he never told me that until 12 months later, they got in touch with me. And, and I said, boy, it's taken them 12 months. And he said, well, I need to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, but he felt, and in that 12 months, he pushed me into stuff. I started preaching, uh, not only in our own church, he made ways for me to be preaching in other churches. And uh, I had such experience in that 12 months that I never realized I needed, but I did, you know. Wow. So it it was all all good. But um, out of that, I uh, left Wales. Um, About two years after that, my mother suddenly died. I was just about 18, 19 years of age, and... Uh, that was a traumatic time, but um, I never went back to Wales after that and um, served the Lord uh, in England and um, uh, pastored three or four churches. And then I land up in the church that I thought I was going to be at for the rest of my life. And uh, I'd seen it grow from nothing to nearly 400 people and and uh, one of the biggest Assemblies of God churches in the country. And uh, I was stopped at some traffic lights one day <clears throat> and thanking God for what he had done. And I suddenly realized as the lights went from red to green that my time there was over. It was just a witness of the Spirit. So I drove home and told Letty what had happened. She thought I was having a breakdown. <laughs> and she said, well, if we're finishing, where are we going? And I said, I've got no idea. And um, that began a journey. Thank God the church said, until you know where you're going, we're going to keep on paying you. Wow. And uh, they were very, very kind. But um, after about a month, um we get this call from America, a guy who had been to our church visiting, and uh, he now uh, had got in touch, and I didn't know what it was about. And he told me that they'd been without a pastor at Faith Christian Center in Washington, and um, would I be interested in coming to talk to them? So I said, well, I've only got two questions. Number one, where's Illinois? And number two, where's Washington? (laughs) (coughs) And he said to me, well, it's just outside Chicago. And I said to Letty, I think think we're going to Chicago, Letty. So imagine our shock when we we flew eight hours, nine hours, and um, got in the car thinking 20 minutes up the road we'll be having a cup of coffee or something. And three hours later, we were pulling into Faith Christian Center. (laughs) Um, but when we got there, I walked through the doors of the church, and we were only there to talk to them, basically. But as I walked through the doors of the church, the Lord said, this is where I want you. Wow. And so I went through all the, the process of interviews, and uh, they had a vote after I preached and um, unanimously asked, me, asked us to come. But I mm-hmm. could have told us we, that we were coming before that, you know. Yeah. So that's how we come to America, and I've mm-hmm. shrunk that a little bit, but yeah. uh, that's yeah. how it all happened. You moved your whole family, except for your son, right? Right, yeah. Yes. And he was in Australia. Yes. <coughs> Again, was, training for the ministry. He was a teenager, Eastie. right? Yeah. Yes. He was about 18. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Rachel would have been about 11, probably. Okay. 
and then Shirley, who was our adopted daughter, she was eight. So um, what did that look like, having that conversation with, here, they've grown up in England. Right. And now you're moving into the United States. Well, the thing you need to know about the Brits is that every one of them want to live in America. Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> so, so it wasn't hard. They became, they became excited, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Uh, one of the signs that I knew was the will of God that Letty so quickly said yes. Wow. And um, we, we had, you know, the will of God is, is not easy. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a little part I'll tell you maybe <clears throat> later, but um, to leave your family... Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a huge um, sacrifice, if yeah. I can put it that way. And yeah. uh, Letty's oldest sister uh, was really upset because we were Letty's mother was living with us in the UK. She didn't want to come with us, of course. Um, and so the sister was uh, really upset with us and um, basically said to me, "You're going to put." my mother in a casket you know mm. and uh, and I have to say I love you but I've got to obey the will of God like mm, you yeah. know um, now I add to that the fact that within two years the lady's mother and the sister had come mm. and both of them were wishing they'd moved with us you know <laughs> <laughs> and things were perfectly okay you know mm. um, but there is a sacrifice but I, I remember sitting on the airplane uh, at Heathrow uh, knowing that we were on this plane and I got one-way tickets. There was no return ticket. Mm. Wow. And uh, I remember praying, <clears throat> oh, God, I'm sure you're in this, but please, please know that I'm scared to death, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, it it was something of a huge deal when, when we took off. And Did you feel a little bit like Abraham? Like, go yeah, to this land that I don't know? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you saying that. When when Because uh, I cut my story a little short. But when I was asked to come, I said, you know, Lord, I, I've had prophetic words over me that would confirm it. I've mm-hmm. uh, had good advice from people who I trust and that I see as a confirmation. But I want something from your word, you know. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow morning I'm getting up and I'm going to carry on reading from where I left off. <laughs> and uh, I want you to speak to me from <laughs> your word. Well, where I left off was Genesis 12, <laughs> uh, where the Lord said, leave your family and your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. Those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. Wow. So, uh, I warn people, don't don't curse me. You're in yes, trouble. <laughs> you'll be in trouble. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we did. We found we didn't know what was we were coming to. Yeah, we knew that we had a church here that was three hundred strong. Yeah, they were also three hundred thousand dollars in debt. Mm. And um, I came and and you talk about my faith. I said to the elders there, I said my plan would be in five years. I want this church to be at least 500 strong. And I'd like to be burning the debt, you know. Yeah. Um, Well, that happened in 12 months. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So when we were five-year-old, we had 1,200 people, and and the debt had gone. Not only that, we built a $2 million building, if you remember, the uh, youth center. uh, Yeah. Yeah, that's Down where my wedding reception was. Yeah. You were the very first the event. First. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was like still sawdust <coughs> in the corners, yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the church rallying mm-hmm. to get it ready in time. Like, it was down to the mm-hmm. minute. Down to the it wire. Was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I want to go back just a minute about you. So you went with this organization to go serve with these other pastors. Was it sort of like internship, mentorship type? It was more of a mentorship okay. thing. I, I... I never felt that I could, I should go to Bible college. Okay. I guess that was my question. Yeah. And I have a reason for asking. So did you go to Bible college or seminary? Okay. No, no. I did not know that. Which I love. I did not know that. No, nothing against whoever's in Bible college and seminary. But it's similar to the path that I've taken. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people that I lead have taken these gifted, anointed preachers, evangelists, mm-hmm. communicators of God's word that did it in a non-traditional way. Yeah. And 
from my, I just want to, and I know I've told you this so many times, but I just want to keep reminding you, like you modeled what you had for you, you modeled for me mm-hmm. and for many others because mm-hmm. you saw in me something, a gift that I didn't know I had. And you said, Heather, you're, you know, this 26 year old young woman. And I want you to come preach on my stage, on mm-hmm. my, in my pulpit, you know? And I, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but I believe that's because that is what had happened with you. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. you modeled that for us. And now I'm doing that for others. And so look at that legacy, Pastor. That's just, to me, that is incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it was with cost as well, you know, because I, I remember having been here for six months. Uh, we'd been here six months. And one of the deacons, uh, actually went to the elders and said, I can't believe that you've taken on a guy that's never been to college yeah. and had schooling. And um, and it, it it shook me at that time because yeah. it was such a big thing over here, yes. which wasn't in the UK. Yep. The call of God may take you to Bible college, but it may not. Yeah, and that's that's the way they handle things over there. They don't write people off because hmm. they haven't been to school, and they they judge them more on the call and the anointing of God. Wow, and their willingness to grow out there and and grow in yes. their, their calling. Yeah, um, and uh, you know it, it's a strange thing to me that many people get written off that. Um, should never be written off just because of schooling, like you know. So, did you have to work through insecurity once oh, you got here? I did. Yeah. I never, uh, you know, I used to go to pastors' meetings and and feel inferior. Mm-hmm. And yet, the Lord said, "Well, I think I've grown your church bigger than theirs anyway, so <laughs> you've got nothing to feel inferior about." Yeah. But you know, that inferiority is heightened. I find in America. You're judged by so many things, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yet as someone who, so I was young when my family started attending your church. And so you became my pastor at a young age and you are a huge part of why I'm an evangelist today is because I watched you Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, get up and very boldly and confidently preach the gospel. You know, no matter what topic I remember thinking as a 14 year old, how is he going to take this topic and turn it into a salvation call at the end? And every single week you did. Right. You did not get on that stage without giving people the chance to meet Jesus. Amen. And so as one who was under your leadership for a very long time, served on your staff for a long time, I actually probably have heard the story but had forgotten mm-hmm. that you never went to seminary. Mm-hmm. In my mind, that was not even distinguishable mm-hmm. because you were the best of the very best evangelist that I've ever served under. Wow. Agreed. And so I just think the point is this, if God has called you, he truly can give you the anointing, no matter what man says about you, right? Absolutely. And um, the the call of God is the the thing that will keep you in the roughest times. Yes. When everyone's against you, when you know you're in the will of God. You know, I tell people all the time, as long as I can look Jesus in the eye, I'm not worried about your eye. That's right. And um, and that governs my life, really. Yeah. I want to be able to look the Lord in the eye, like, you know. And, um, One thing I love about you, Pastor John, is how matter-of-fact you are about the fact that you hear from God. And um, I remember being quite young when I realized that you spoke of it just as you spoke of a friend calling you up on the phone. Like, it wasn't out of the ordinary mm-hmm. for God to speak to you and you would recognize his voice. And I remember thinking, I am going to get f- so familiar with God that I too understand Amen. the voice of God the way pastor does. And you were the person that taught me that God does speak to us personally Amen. and intimately and that he can confirm and direct in a moment. Amen. And so your story of when you say things like, you know, the Lord spoke to me or the Lord showed me this or the voice of God, I know that to be true because mm-hmm. we've watched you walk those things out, but I've also experienced it myself. Right. And I think that's an incredible gift God gave you is the ability to communicate and make it seem so tangible mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. people to hear from God. 
Yeah, God's been kind, you know, in that sense. I, I've asked the Lord from the beginning. I when I speak, I want to. I want people to feel as if I'm speaking to only them mm. individually. And I want to be able to communicate in a way that the youngest child is able to understand. You know, mm. uh, that that's big for me. And um, <clears throat> I think hearing from God ought to be natural. You know, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Yes. Uh, you know, if you want to judge whether you're walking with the Lord or not, ask yourself, am I hearing the voice of Jesus? Yeah, come you know? on, yeah. So, you know, it, it, and and to be honest, that grows as well. I think, yeah. and if we got time, I could tell you about this, but since I've retired, I've got a relationship with Jesus like I've never had. Wow. And um, it came out of reading a book uh, and just changed another area of my life to the extent, uh, this is funny in one sense, but uh, I now find that I wake up rushing to get into the quiet place wow and it's early in the morning and i made a mistake early on when i when i would get up you know i, I get up between 4 15 4 30 and um my dog which sleeps on our bed follows me and i made the mistake of giving her a treat so now even if i sleep late the dog wakes me up <laughs> The Lord makes sure that I'm in the quiet. But I rush in there and I've got a time with uh, meeting God, waking the dawn uh, like I've never had before. Is it because you're just hearing the voice of God for yourself now and not trying to make it get something for everyone else too? The day after I retired, so the 31st December I finished, and God's so good, you know. He knew I couldn't handle the COVID crisis. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, you could have. Yeah, you could have. <laughs> but Michael's doing a, a terrific job doing that. But um, I I got in the presence of God the, the first morning. And this sounds, uh, I don't know what it sounds like, but I said, I was looking back and and thinking, well, what was that about? Do you know mm. what I mean? It was a strange feeling because it had gone so quick. Yeah. And that's one thing you need to get and everyone needs to get is that life is short. It goes quicker than you realize. And, um, you know, you want to go after everything that God is offering you now. Yeah. Uh, don't wait. Mm. Grab it and, and mm. run with it. But um, the Lord spoke to me very clearly and said, I've been waiting for this wow. uh, because you've been so consumed with your God work that I haven't been able to talk to you as I want to. And that began to open up. Wow. Plus then <laughs> <I'm chilled. laughs> reading this book, you know, there's mm. a book by Henry Nowen. Mm. Uh, he was a Roman Catholic priest and it's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. Mm. And what I found out was this, that um, I, I am God's beloved son. And I never realized it. In this sense of, just as he said to Jesus, who had done nothing of any good work or big work or turned water into the wine, he hadn't done a thing. As he was baptized, he came out of the water, this is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. And I felt that morning, God spoke to me and said, you're my beloved son. Mm. And um, now as I write in my journal every day, I finish it and say, Father, this is John, your beloved son. I write it in my journal wow. every day. And uh, it's transformed my life, to be honest. Wow. So I remember years ago, you talked about writing a book oh, called yeah. The Whispers of God or something like that. And then someone else wrote a book called the whispers of god yeah they stole the title yeah. but uh, <laughs> you still got it in you though right uh, i've written 21 chapters but it's never been um in any way edited or published and um actually on our um the church's 20th anniversary they michael interviewed me back in august this year and a lot of the stuff that he was asking me came from the fact that i'd given him the transcript to read and um, 
you know, he, he said to me at the end of the interview, so, you know, you've got more chapters to write. Mm. Uh, because it ended uh, before a lot of stuff had happened that's happened since, mm. you know, that um, was big. And, uh, yeah, I should finish it, but... Uh, and this sounds, I don't want to sound falsely humble, but I just don't know who would read it. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would read it. Yeah, and I, I I understand that sentiment. Yeah. But I think that is selling God short well, on yeah. the story that he's given you. Yeah, and, and like I said that morning, you know, I said, um, I, I just feel I've been the right man in the right place at the right time and it's God's story you know yeah. mm-hmm. so, just the fact that what you've experienced you know in success in ministry but then your experience post retirement to me that is such a valuable tool right. for those of us who are still in ministry yes. right. and if we can read your story and hear your story and somehow bring the two together right that that would be incredible mm-hmm. yeah and after that 20th anniversary to be honest two people come up to me and said they felt the lord had spoke to them and said that they'd got to finance the book and help me get it done you know so I, i've got to just pick it up and do it you there know. you go mm. <laughs> now now you do i've got no excuse no excuses now. so if someone listening would like to be pastor john's publisher yeah please contact us <laughs> yeah. and we will yep. connect you with him yep uh-huh. <laughs> okay let's go back to you've come to the united states you're at faith christian center the church has grown the debt is gone incredible ministry story yeah you know anyone mm. listening who's been a part of building a church or part of leading a church knows mm. that that's a big deal that's a big deal yeah mm-hmm. so then god calls you again mm-hmm. and I love the first part of the story. I really love the second part of the story because it, it intimately involves my family and myself and has impacted us so deeply. So take us from that moment forward. Yeah, we got to a point where the church had grown at Faith Christian Center to about 1,200 people or more, and uh, we were outgrowing the building. Um, it, we were in two services, and... Uh, the thought was, let's we've got the land. Let's build a three thousand seater church. Do you know what I mean? And um, we got the architects in, and we were moving on that. To be honest, uh, I got asked to go to the UK uh, to speak to all the assemblies of God pastors in the UK in a conference that they had, and uh, I remember being very nervous. But the Lord gave me a word. Um, about the harvest, you know, being ripe and ready and um, pray that the Lord of the harvest will um, send forth laborers into the harvest field, mm-hmm. you know. And um, the word send forth is the word eject, you know, like you you read in scripture, they ejected demons out. Well, it's a strong word. <clears throat> pray the Lord of the harvest that he will literally press the ejection button on people and send them into the harvest. Wow, yeah. So I'm preaching that, and I was saying, I said, under the anointing of God, I hadn't planned to say it, I said, you know, there are pastors here who are pastoring churches, and you've done it for so long. And whenever you think of starting new churches, you look for young men to send out to do it. Hmm. When in fact, God wants you to go and leave the young men to look after your church. Because that's the way the Apostle Paul did it. He brought people in, got them established, helped them, and then he moved on to pioneer and plant another church. Hmm. Well, as I'm saying that, God says to me, I'm talking to you, King. Oh, wow. And I almost said, don't interrupt me while I'm preaching. You know what (laughs) I mean? But, But it came forcibly to me that we shouldn't build the church and that I should come back and that um, I should uh, go into the city and plant a church. Um, I had no thought on how that was going to happen, even to the extent when I came back, I had talked, you would remember Steve Kilpatrick, you know. Mm -hmm. I talked to Steve Kilpatrick and I said, Steve, if I go and plant a church in Peoria, will you give me a job selling cars until Mm -hmm. I built the church up? And he agreed to it, to be honest. Mm And I, um, I didn't realize that God was at work 
and that uh, I came back and told the elders what I was feeling, and they said it's strange because we've had a feeling of a um, uh, God putting a block on us building, mm. and what you were saying is really. Um, until I said then, well, you know, I, I think that I've got to go and pioneer the church and um, uh, and my assistant take over uh, Faith Christian Center, and, and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also gave permission for me to talk to the congregation about going and said, whoever wants to go with you, uh, it would be better for us to do it rightly and, and release them to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... I was shocked when over 300 people signed up to come with us into the city. and yeah. um, so, so you on. didn't have to sell cars. I didn't have to sell cars. <laughs> the church were very kind. Faith Christian Center paid my wage for six months. Yeah. They gave me the vehicle. Uh, and also all the staff that went with me, they covered their wage for about three months. Which is incredible. It was an incredible move, you know, yeah. and it's how it should be done, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only thing that I would look back on and say that I was, I would have changed is that whenever you start to do something uh, so big as to go and start another church, mm-hmm. anyone in your church that has any sense of entrepreneurship, they want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And what tends to happen is you suck them out of the church, but also they're usually the biggest givers and you suck them out as mm-hmm. well. And I, I look back and with a little bit of regret on that, I think we could have handled that a little differently. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. no, I have nothing in my mind of ill feeling what Faith Christian Center did. They supported us all the way, you know. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. But um, on the first Sunday, we were meeting in the Holiday Inn downtown mm-hmm. and uh, I was expecting these 300 people to turn up well 500 people turned up on the first Sunday yeah I remember that and, it, and we never looked back mm-hmm. to be honest it just um, but then on we were looking saying we could only be in the hotel for about six months and uh, we need a building so We'd seen this building out on the north side of the city called Jumbo Sports, and um, it was a huge building. Um, I'm trying to think what it's called now. Great Escape. But anyway, um, it was an empty building, and uh, it was up for sale at $1.9 million. Uh, wow. So we, we uh, decided we weren't going to pay $1.9, you know. Well, we were on the way to buying it. We'd stepped out and we had plans for that building. And um, I I still had a disquiet in my spirit that we, I don't know whether we were doing the right thing because we'd move us again out of the city. Mm-hmm. And um, well, anyway, they came back to us and said, because it's a bankrupt building, it's got to go through the bankruptcy court. And anyone who's shown an interest in it has got to have the opportunity to now go into an auction mm. of this building. And there were there was a, a financial group in Chicago that wanted to go up against us. And um, so I sat in the office of an attorney and we were linked by phone to the bankruptcy court, which was in Florida, and um, the Chicago company. And uh, they said, okay, Mr. King, what's your first offer? You know, and so I... I offered a million dollars, and they came back and said 1.1, and I said 1.2. We decided we weren't going to go beyond 1.4. And so they came back. After I said 1.2, they said 1.9. Wow. And uh, I said, well, you could have saved yourself a lot of money. I would have backed out at 1.4. But (laughs) uh, they bought it for 1.9. And I remember walking back from the attorney's office uh, to the parking lot at the Holiday Inn where I parked my car that morning and looking over at this building that was known as the Old Shrine Moss Theatre and uh, I felt the Lord say, go and look that over. And I said, Lord, I've looked it over. It's $3 million Mm. and we can't afford that. And, uh, And But 
he said, go and ask to see the building again. So I went into the building and I was walking around. This old guy, he'd met me at the door. He said, I asked if I could look around. He said, you've been around this place so many times. <laughs> you need to make your mind up, he said. You know. So I, I was walking around. I remember walking from the balcony down the side hall that lead to the stage. You know, And I stopped the guy and I said, what's the least amount of money I'd have to give you to take this off your hands? And it was, uh, it was a miracle because he said, you know, we're in such a financial state. If you offered 600000 right now, you'd get it. Hmm. So I offered 550000 <laughs> never give them what they want. 550000 and they accepted the offer of 550000 for this 1,800-seat theater that uh, was just a unique building in the yeah. city, uh, known by everyone, because mm -hmm. before the Civic Center, it was the Civic Center. Yes. And, um, of course, we put a million dollars into it. but yeah. um, It needed a lot of cleanup. It needed a lot of cleanup, in more ways than one. Yes. It was a gentleman's club, really, yeah. and yeah. We, had yeah. to, we had nearly a dumpster load of... Uh, X-rated films, you know, that yeah. uh, and drink and all sorts. Mm -hmm. you know, so, yeah. see, we're taking after him in that way too. I was going to say, I forgot that we, part of the story. Yeah, because yeah. our church that we leave now bought a swingers club. Oh yes, we yeah. had to remove mm -hmm. some interesting stuff. Yeah, some stuff. Yeah, but it was a, it was a great move. And then, of course, two years after the um, YMCA was up for sale, and that was up for sale at one point eight million. We wanted to start a dream, a dream center, yeah. and uh, we had started it. Really, mm -hmm. you were so involved in mm -hmm. that, Heather. Uh, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, adopt a block and adopt yeah. a block, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, with that, you know, uh, again, we didn't have the money. Yeah. Um, but we knew that the Methodist Hospital wanted the parking lot, not the building. And so I, I, I was driving into the city one day and I felt the Lord say, the time's right, go after it, you know. And, and um, together with Dave Maloof, we hatched this plan that um, we would say to them, if you offer 1.5 million, the Y will give it to you. This is talking to the Methodist hospital. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, we can write 300,000 off as a tax break for you. Um, they'll give you a million dollars, you know, they, you can give a million dollars and you could have the parking lot. Mm -hmm. We'll give you $200,000 in cash and we'll take the building off your hands. Mm. And they said, deal. <laughs> and um, So you got two giant buildings in downtown Peoria yeah. for Prime under a million dollars. Yeah. And, <laughs> and here's the thing, with the Dream Center... Not many people know this, but um, it was 210000 that we had to pay. Hmm. And one man came and paid that. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have to finance. Yeah. It was paid with one check. You know, it's so. amazing. Sitting here listening to your story, a story that I know well because I, our family was involved in it. But it's hitting me that people ask us all the time why we make the decisions we make in leading churches. Decisions that are very faith-driven, hmm. decisions that don't make sense on paper, decisions that um, could come across as um, not thought out or too quick. Counter time counter frames, active counterculture, right. counterculture, and it's hitting me. I think part of the reason we're so comfortable with that is because we experienced it with you yeah. as our as our pastor and our leader in multiple scenarios. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it was. Um, commonplace for our church at Riverside and through Dream Center to do very big steps of faith and watch God pull through. Yeah. It, that was, it was like a very common thing, wasn't it? It was, even on the mission side of it, you know, yeah. you think that we, we built a school for 600 students in Tanzania. We've now built 25 churches in the Amazon jungle. Yes. Um, it, it, we just had um, Sasha, and don't ask me to pronounce his last name, I can't, but <laughs> Sasha from the Ukraine came through last week, and he was talking about this dream center that Riverside built 
not long after we opened our own. Yes. And paid, and now that's packed to the doors. He's got to extend it. You know, yeah. he's got to build on, and he's looking for more money. That's why he was with us. <laughs> uh, but uh, all that stuff was all faith-driven, you yeah. know what I mean? We never knew. But the one thing that I would say to you, you know, to encourage and, and um, what I found was this, that when I was willing to take the steps of faith and I I was confident that I'd heard from God and I'd had it confirmed, I always look for three areas of confirmation. And number one is the word of God, mm -hmm. the more sure word of prophecy. Yeah. Number two is prophetic words. Mm -hmm. And number three is this, great um, people around you. Mm -hmm. and, and what I found was this, is that when you take a step of faith, God will put the right people around you, both yes, from a financial standpoint and from advice and expertise. Mm, yes. And I couldn't have seen any of this happen without that element that once you begin to move, God begins to move yes. and put people around you yeah. uh, that will support that move. You know. Well, so you have good. a theme in all of your stories when you said, God spoke to me, God confirmed it, and then I went and I spoke to so-and-so, where right. you, you asked for people to come in around you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's really key in that um, you understood that God was going to use you to cast the vision and to right. take those first steps to give people the courage to step forward, but also to bring people with you. Right. I think that's really crucial because yeah. we're not meant to do life alone, are we? We're not. And <clears throat> I found through life, you know, that um, different people are with you for seasons as well, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And um, it, it's amazing that um, those who were with you in faith year may not be the same people that are going to be with you in faith year. You yes. Know? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's because God is unique in all he does and he's got a plan, you know, yeah. and he, he knows exactly who he's going to use, you know. Yeah. But there has to be someone that I was going to say is silly enough or stupid enough, <laughs> enough. <laughs> to step out and say, yes. we've got to get this done. Do you yeah. know what I mean? And yeah. um, uh, God has honored that. Uh, in many, many ways, you know, that, um, yeah. yeah. So you pastored Riverside and just for people, cause we have a lot of listeners that aren't local. So just to give them a picture, you came from Washington, Illinois, which is on one side of the river, crossed the river into Washington is a smaller Small suburb, <laughs> if you will, of the city of Peoria. Peoria is the city that we mm -hmm. all live in and Peoria is a larger city. River separates the two. And so the church became Riverside mm -hmm. yeah. in the name Riverside Community Church. And we were downtown. Yeah. yeah. And so we had people of all types yeah. that, that came into that church, which was such a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. it, it opened so many people's eyes to experiences and people that they had never yeah. met with before. And here you are in church together, worshiping, helping care for one another. You know, um, I was your kids pastor for a season. I experienced ministry with kids that I would not have experienced otherwise. One of my favorite stories about you is walking out into the foyer one Wednesday night and some kid had you pinned against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you were in a little bit of trouble at that moment. Yeah. And, and that was the kind of kids that we yeah. were touching down there. Yeah. But here's an interesting thing that um, is good for leaders to hear, you know. I found through my ministry, wherever there's a railroad or a river, you've got the other side of the tracks. Mm. At, at Faith Christian Center, if you remember, hardly any black people or Hispanic people would ever darken our doors. Mm. They wouldn't cross the river. Yeah. And that, to me, was a driving force in saying, I need to be in the city. Yeah. Uh, because... With all due respect, white churches do not represent heaven. Right. And, um, uh, you know, crossing the river was I opened. In fact, when we first came to Washington, they used to say to us, be careful if you cross the river. You know? Wow. And they used to say, don't go there on your own. Yeah. And mm. don't go at night. And if you are over there, don't put your windows down. Don't mm. open your windows to anyone. And I joke that Letty and I, you know, used to go down to 
the riverbank on the Washington side and look over and say, I wonder what's over there. <laughs> <laughs> and now how many years have you lived in the city here with us? Uh, it's been 20 years yeah. in the city, you know, 21 years coming up. But yeah. Um, yeah. amazing. We Kip and I have lived here in the city for 17 years. You and Chris have been here for, what, 21? Mm, no, about oh, the same. Cause yeah, because you were in, in yeah, Fresno yeah. for a while. But So... You retired just short of 20 years at Riverside, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. How many years total would you have considered your ministry? Not that your ministry has stopped, but no, from no, your... No, I know what you're saying. Pastoring. I, so I had my first church when I was 20. Wow. I was, I was too young. Wow. I don't think I came into my own until I was 30. Okay. Uh, but... But I wouldn't do away with all that. Mm -hmm. But I, I, with numbers, I have a feeling about age number. 30 was an important year for Jesus. Yeah. And I really believe that people come into their own at 30. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so <clears throat> at 20, I started. And um, so I was 69 wow. when I finished. So Wow. 49 yeah. years. Yeah. Wow. So, but let me emphasize again, it goes so quickly. Yeah. Don't, don't waste a day, you know, yeah. that's a uh, key. So what do you say to us? We're, you know, I'm 41 and in full-time church leading, you know, ministry, the call of God in my life. What do you say to me? What's the thing that you wish at 41 someone would have told you as a leader? Hmm. Number one that ministry is for women as well as men. Yes. Come on. <laughs> There's a great book, you know, that, that I recommend. It's called Gender Revolution. Mm -hmm. And it's by my friend from the UK, mm -hmm. Alan Hewitt. Yeah. I read that and it just confirmed again my own feeling hmm. that we have constrained, held back women that should have yes. been released years ago. 50% of the... Of the the people over, of the church. Yes. Over the, yes. Over 50. But uh, so I feel that firstly, mm -hmm. you know, but um, what I would say to you is, uh, and I was 43 when I came to America. By okay. Way. Wow. Um, and now Michael is 41, 42, taking over Riverside. And Michael's your son-in-law for those that may not know. Yes, mm -hmm. that's, yes. And he's the new pastor of Riverside. Yes. And um, my whole advice is uh, once you hear from God and you know it's God nothing should stop you moving forward mm -hmm. um, but until you do then you wait on God yeah. do you know what I mean but when you know that God has spoken you haven't got time to waste and um, the moment he will confirm the moment and um Everything goes so quickly. You've got to grasp what God is saying to you now and do it. Yeah. And um, and watch him. He opens doors like a frightened center. And, hmm. um, Just recognizing those Kairos moments, right? It is, yeah. yeah. I, I wish I'd thought I, I have a plaque that says, when a decision is made, mm. uh, then all sorts of things begin to move into action. Mm. Wow, yeah. And God moves things into place yep. and causes people to come into your life. Mm -hmm. But the decision has got to be made. Yes. Uh, yeah. And it, uh, it's not the exact words of the plaque, but it's put much better. But um, somebody gave me that years ago, and I've never, ever looked That's back That's really on good. That. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever want to throw the towel in? Um, only, only probably weekly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, you know, uh, it, it's not for the weak at heart. That's yeah. for the faint at heart. That's for yeah. sure, you know. And um, uh, it has great, great blessing, you know. But there is sacrifice. Yeah. And what I was going to say earlier, last year, my, the first of my siblings died, uh, my sister Betty. Mm -hmm. And a um, uh, wonderful, wonderful woman that basically brought me up because... My mother suffered with asthmatic condition. Mm -hmm. I was I, I don't remember and not either being in bed gasping for breath or you know a godly mother, but it meant that my sister brought me up. Sure. You know? mm -hmm. So 
um, she passed last year and uh, I went back for the funeral and um, I was shocked when they asked me to do the funeral and to take the service, you know. And uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, if I'm honest. But as I stood up, it was in this old Baptist church. And you've got to realize, my sister hardly left her house. Uh, it, you talk about travel. She hardly went out of the village, leave mm. alone out of the country. Wow. But um, she always had people at her house. Uh, we were on a main walkway down into the village. And as people would go, they'd drop in and see Betty, like, you know, it, it, uh, the house. Uh, it it was called Well House, uh, uh, mm. the home I was brought up in. And uh, there used to be a well across the road from the house where people used to get water from in centuries ago because our house dates back almost to the 1200s. Wow. But... Um, and they, they call it Well House because of the well across the road. Well, people used to meet there and stop and talk and have time. Well, the well has been covered in by a road now, but Well House, she always had people. So we had this Baptist church that we had this service in for a funeral, and it was packed. Mm. I mean, 300 people inside, but then there was another 200 around the outside of the building. Wow. Wow. And um, but the thing that happened was this: I, I I stood up in the pulpit, and I looked down, and there were all the kids, the four or five kids, and then the grandkids. And I realized I've had nothing to do with these people. Wow. They were strangers to me because I came to America when they were all babies, and um, I felt robbed a little at that moment. In, yeah. in, uh, but the interesting thing that's happened out of that, out of that funeral, three of my sister's kids have been in touch mm. and I've led two of them to the Lord. Wow. And uh, and one of the grandkids. Uh, so it's been, uh, God's honored it, you know. Yes. But I, I apologized uh, from the pulpit and I said, you know, one of the, sacrifices of doing what God wants you to do is that you have to leave your family and I want to apologize to you kids of Betty's and, and your grandkids that I haven't been in your life and I'm so deeply sorry you know and wow yeah it was quite a emotional I moment mean it, it requires a sacrifice it yeah. does it doesn't come without some sort of sacrifice no and yeah. that's that's hard sometimes to yeah. reconcile the cost Versus yep. the call that God is asking yeah. to walk yeah. out. Yeah, it's never, it's never a, a free, easy thing, no. you know. Yeah. In that sense. No. But at the same time, I look back and have no regrets, you mm -hmm. know, in that sense of regretting doing anything that we've done. Yeah. One thing I remember about you, Pastor, I was on your staff when you taught us this, and you had been pastoring for a long time by this point. We were in a staff meeting, and I don't remember what day we met on staff meetings in this time of this season of church, but you said that the Lord had finally taught you that you can't chase people down. Right. And I remember thinking, and I wonder what he means by this. And now, leading a church, I know exactly what you mean by it. Right. And it's interesting um, to have seen you have to walk that out, you know, because uh, now leading, I know that it can come with a price when yeah. you have to make a choice not to chase people down, right. um, but to trust God that yeah. whoever's supposed to be with you is with you and to release those that aren't supposed to be with you. Yeah. Um, so at the time, I didn't know that it would be a lesson that would be so valuable to right. my leadership, my need for leadership and our team's need mm -hmm. for leadership. But I want you to know that, you know, some, I don't know, 17 years later, I still remember you teaching us that. Yeah, that and it's an important lesson, you know. In, in the end, we've got to see they're his sheep before they're our sheep. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And he will move them on. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, the only thing that I always say is if you come in through the front door, don't leave through the back. Yeah. Oh, I love that. If you're going to leave, leave right. Yes. And most people don't. Right. Um, but 
if you if you and I I have been if you're a number person it kills you to see yeah. people you know and I say to people you'll leave your over my crying body and they mm. do do you know yeah. what I mean I've cried yeah. many tears mm -hmm. over people going but I've also looked back and seen well, that was a right thing to happen yeah. and mm -hmm. I think uh, in part though you're a people person you, I am. You didn't respond to this call because of the glory no. or the glam, because it's not been super glamorous. Right. Um, but you're a people person, and you I have am. a heart for people. <clears throat> yeah, I do. And, um, yeah, I take a lot of stuff too personally in that sense, you know. But yeah. um, at the same time, when I look, you know, and see what God has done, you know, not only at Riverside, but uh, your own church. Yeah. Uh, and then elevate and, and connect others. church yes. and yeah, now the yes. gathering, uh, yeah. you know, all out of Riverside. And then <clears throat> we've infected a lot of other churches in the city as well, where people have gone and joined and yes. have uh, got into leadership and one thing and another. So the kingdom is bigger than me. Yes. And uh, you've got to just rest in the fact that he's the king of the kingdom and yeah. he'll move his people as he will. You know? <laughs> That's right. That's good. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Hey, that's okay. I know it's just a I tiny... I hope I rambled. That's no, okay. it was it's great. great. It's just a tiny part of your story. I wish we could keep going for three more yeah. hours. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Um, I just want to encourage people to stop and talk with those around you that have walked a life, a life's journey, because mm -hmm. you can gain so much wisdom. You know, I gained so much wisdom from you as I worked for you and as I as you were my pastor but sitting down now and listening with you I feel like I can even I can hear you talking about things that that are that are in the past that you've grown from and learned from and your perspective is just it's just really beautiful wow. how you look back and you don't regret no. you see things that you could have done or changed you know but you you also just see that you're you're walking in obedience to right. God's voice mm-hmm is why you are where you are today. Yeah, and that is the key, you know, and the, the scriptures, as you read the scriptures, you know, over and over it is that um, we have faith and obedience. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what Jesus is looking yeah. for, faith and obedience. Yeah, you yeah. Know, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. so good. Well, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you, and thanks for all you're doing for the kingdom too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. bless you both. Friends, thanks for joining us. We're so happy that you got to see a picture of our pastor's heart to um, experience just some of the love and the leadership that he gave to both of us. Now maybe people understand why we talk about mm -hmm. why it's so important to follow the call of God and why yeah. we love church so much. Yeah. Well, we do. We love local church mm -hmm. and we talk about it a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So with all that being said, if you've listened and you're, you're hearing this man talk about the love of Jesus and you're finding yourself that you're in a place where you don't understand or recognize mm -hmm. th that sentiment. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God the Father pricking you to say, I want to find you mm -hmm. just like I found John, just mm -hmm. like I have found Heather and Heidi. And we tell you a lot of the love of Jesus. Mm -hmm. But I love that this man is sitting here telling you because he has walked a lifetime mm -hmm. of loving Jesus. And he's had ups and downs. And life has hit him many times. But he, he has remained the course with Jesus. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's many more stories we could talk about, about his faith and how the Lord has brought him through. But the constant has been that he's loved Jesus mm -hmm. and that Jesus has loved mm -hmm. him. So if you have more questions about this, if you want to step into a relationship mm -hmm. with Jesus, it's simple. Yeah. You can turn to him right now. Yeah. You don't need to message us. You don't need to call us. We don't have to pray over you, although we can. Mm -hmm. But you can just simply say, Jesus, I choose you. Right. I turn to you. Yeah. And then get a Bible. Yeah. If you need a Bible, we'll get you a Bible. Yeah, Message will. us. Um, and open God's word because yeah. it is it is alive. It is not outdated. Yeah. And it will transform your life. Yeah, that's so good, Heidi. I also want to speak to people who maybe find themselves not in a local church. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a man who's given him his whole life to the church of Jesus, the big C church and, and the local church. And then you and I, we have given our lives to the church too. And we, the three of us can sit here and say, we've been hurt by the church. Mm -hmm. The church yeah. is made up of people and people are messy and broken and, and sinful. And so there's going to be hurt in that. But the, 
the common thing that we all have is that we've all continued. We've yes. all stayed. And it doesn't mean that there isn't, there aren't things that we haven't had to work through, but we keep going back. And so that would be my, my challenge. If you don't have a church, find one. We can help you. We can yep. find you at local church, wherever you're at. But if you've left the church because of hurt, go back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go back because there's so much. It's the ecclesia. Yeah. A church isn't a building. It isn't it isn't just a, you know, a name. It it is the ecclesia, the coming together of God's people and that is where you find um community yeah. and and help and support and encouragement and the presence of God in a manifest way that is hard to find anywhere else. Yeah. So that would be my challenge to those that maybe have stepped away from church. Yes, it's broken in many ways, but it is also the hope of the world. And it is mm-hmm. it is what Jesus is coming back for. That's right. It is who Jesus is coming back for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. so thanks for listening. We're so glad that you do. If this message has touched your heart, would you share it with somebody that needs to hear it? Because I believe Pastor John dropped a whole bunch of gold mm-hmm. and it's for you to receive. So we'll chat with you next time. 